Hello, Jose Zayas here, and we are in the series called The Way of Jesus. And if you've been tracking with us, it's been really, really helpful. And here's the beautiful news. We can and should live under God's good rule. God wants to lead us. God wants to guide us. He doesn't want to just rescue us from our past and say, hey, here's heaven in the future. He wants us to live according to his way now. And so we've been looking at what Jesus taught us in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. We are blessed because we know God, because we've drawn close to him. We are blessed and we're salt and we're light and we live for him. And all of that is true about us. And because that's true, Jesus says he's the fulfillment of the law. Everything we couldn't do, Jesus did. But now he completed, he fulfilled all that was written so that what, we could avoid it? No way. Not even one little jot or tittle iota is ever going to disappear from the law. Jesus created a way for us to live it out. And so we're looking right now in these series of examples that Jesus gives. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you. And we looked at anger and we looked at the need for forgiveness and reconciliation. And then last week we had a really tough conversation. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you. And what are we getting from this? We're going to look at the third one today. What do we get from this? Jesus says to his disciples, hear me, take the initiative. Forget about murder, deal with anger. Take the initiative, forget about just committing the act of adultery. Think about lust. And what does Jesus say to do? He says these really graphic, harsh words. Cut it out, gouge it out, get rid of it. Take it seriously. Why? Because Jesus knows how destructive Life can be when we live outside of his good rule. Well, we're going to continue in what Jesus says. This connection to adultery is followed up by a conversation that I think most of us want to skip over, but we're not going to. We're going to look right at it. Matthew 5 verse 31 says this. It, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This should be no surprise because you have to see them all in a row. Relationships matter to God. Our relationship with him matters. That's why Jesus came to restore, to reconcile, to restore into a healthy relationship us back to God. And because of that, all human relationships matter. You think about anger and murder, hurting people. Revenge is an offense to healthy relationships. And adultery, going against your commitment to your spouse or uh, sleeping around, doing whatever you want before you're married, that, that is an offense. It hurts healthy relationships. And so Jesus, just by extension, talks about Divorce. Now, when we look at this, I want to be really careful because um, we're going to look at what Jesus is saying and not saying, and it's going to take two weeks because today I just want us to focus on what's Jesus's vision for marriage. What is it supposed to be? And what does he say specifically about divorce? And then next week, what we need to do is, is to begin to think about the questions that are raised, like how do we live this out in the here and now? And so a lot of these practical how to live it out, we'll look at next Sunday. So please uh, make sure that if you're going to be gone, that you watch uh, the podcast next Sunday. But what Jesus is doing is elaborating. Remember, he came not to throw out or abolish the law, to fulfill it. What law is he talking about? Well, Deuteronomy 24 
is what he's quoting. And so today we want to have an honest conversation and next week about divorce. But I, I want you to look first at what Jesus's vision is towards uh, marriage. Let's, let's just read it again. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce and except for adultery. Now, if that's all Jesus says, it leaves room for all sorts of ideas. Okay, what, what is a certificate, right? Deuteronomy 24, we'll look at that in a few minutes. And is that it? No, well, actually, there's more to the story. If you just turn to the right, Jesus, on another occasion, uh, addresses, and there's not a lot of information that we have in the Bible about the specifics of adultery and divorce and what do we do, but Jesus tells some very specific things that we ought to lean into. Matthew 19, we'll start in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. So the Pharisees are one group of Bible teachers, scholars that are very conservative in that whatever God said in the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy specifically, they want to know, live out, and, and really take seriously. So these are not lightweights. But you have others, other various views of how to understand the Bible within the faith community. The reason I say that is because at the time of Jesus, there was, there was disagreement, honest debate about how to live out the Bible and therefore honor God. And so in the church today, that is still the case. So as we have this discussion, remember this, whatever I say, depending on your background, your your church tradition. You may be a longtime, lifelong churchgoer that has specific uh, understanding of divorce based on your church. You may be new to faith. You may be exploring Jesus and not even sure what any of this means. So we're not going to see all of the details. Just know this. There is a right way to move forward, but it's good that we talk about it. That's why the last thing we want to do is make this a issue. This isn't an issue. This is about people. People in real relationships, relationships that are in real struggle, and relationships that sometimes end in disappointing ways. And the pain and the ongoing struggle post-divorce, we sometimes forget because we want to be right on an issue, we can neglect the person. So hear me, as we talk about this, remember, I'm not talking about concepts and just, you know, abstract theological thoughts. What we're talking about is real human beings who want to love and honor Jesus and sometimes hit a place where it becomes very hard. Now, Jesus is tested in this. They want to know, the Pharisees, whose side are you on? And a little bit of background that's going to help flesh this out because if you just read this, you're like, what are they talking about? There were two major views at the time of Jesus from two different rabbis who had followers. Both of these rabbis read the Bible. Both of these rabbis were trying to live out the Bible, but they disagreed with what Moses meant and what God meant about Deuteronomy 24. So let's just read Deuteronomy 24 to know what we're talking about, and then we'll look at these two different views and why Jesus is asked his opinion. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Let's just read it. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce 
gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this seems totally obscure. And if you're new to the Bible, you have to read. Remember, uh, God's people are about to go in this land that he promised. He rescues them from Egypt. He says, I'm your God. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk before you. And I'm going to show you how to live pleasing to me. And then he, he gives this group of people some real ways to live out following him in the real world. And so there's all sorts of things in Deuteronomy that tell us what we should do and shouldn't do. Now, by the time of Jesus, there, there was this like misunderstanding of what something indecent means. There was honest debate. Moses says, if she's, she does something indecent, write her a certificate of divorce. So two major groups. There was a rabbi, Shammai, who's lived around the time of Jesus, and he had his followers. He was extremely conservative in how he read the Bible. So we need to take the Bible very seriously. We, we don't fool with it. And so as he read the Bible, the only something indecent was adultery. He's like, as I read the text, as I see what God has written, and all his followers, the only reason why I would even think about divorce for something indecent is when, um, when the wife committed adultery. And so at that point, uh, a husband is to give her a certificate of divorce, releasing her from that relationship, and in a sense, freeing her up for her future life. But that was not the only view. By the way, interesting, at the time of Jesus, this was the minority view. I want you to let this sink in. Jesus is asked a question to test him in Matthew 19. And the test is about, what do you see as the right interpretation of Deuteronomy 24? When is, when is a husband given the right to give a certificate of divorce? The minority view, most did not see Shammai as having the right understanding. It's just for adultery. The major view was from Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel, again, who also had his followers, contemporary of Jesus, said, well, anything and everything was allowable. When, when you think about something indecent, that could mean lots of things. So the right interpretation is, the key is if you are no longer satisfied with your wife, you must do it properly. So you must free her up so that she could be remarried. You must end the relationship with a certificate verifying she has done an offensive thing, something indecent. What was something indecent? She put on too much weight. I'm not kidding. Well, if she put on too much weight, she's not pleasing. That's something indecent. You can write her off and you can give her a divorce. She gets wrinkled and old. Well, that's, that's indecent. This is, a, this is an honest interpretation. According to the group of Hillel, there are many reasons. There's actually a, a written statement. If she burns the bread, in other words, she can't cook. That is something indecent. So I have the right as a husband. Mind you, in the first century and at this time, it's a one-way street. A woman isn't divorcing her husband. A husband writes a certificate of divorce. And this was the most popular view. Now, if you don't know that background... You're going to read it in modern day eyes and say, what does Jesus have to say? So Jesus is asked by a conservative group 
The Pharisees are very careful to live out the jot and tittle of the Bible. Jesus, whose side are you on? Are you on our side, which says, well, you know, only for adultery, or are you on the side of Hillel, and are you with the flow of our culture within the Jewish community that says any and every reason is allowable? What's your take? This is very, very telling. If we go back to Matthew 19, look at how Jesus responds. Today, we're just looking at what is God's vision for relationship, particularly marriage? If we don't get the, his vision for marriage, what Jesus is going to tell us about divorce is not going to make full sense. So just read Matthew 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, Jesus replied to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Like, are you with Hallel? Can you just do it for any reason? Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator, then he quotes from Genesis, made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus asked a question because it was a contemporary debate. Uh, is divorce only for adultery or is divorce for any reason? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. Now, I want us to let that sink in. Sometimes the flaw, hear me, is the question itself. Sometimes the flaw in our thinking is we're wondering, is it this or is it that? Is it left or is it right? Is it conservative or is it progressive? And Jesus says, friends, you're asking the wrong question. And their contemporary debate around the time of Jesus of how to fulfill God's heart, God's loving rule, God's way, he's saying, oh my gosh, you're framing the wrong question. What you need to remember is Genesis 2 and 3. God makes them male and female. God's vision for marriage is what you need to center on and understand. Let's get off the question of how to end a marriage, and let's remember God's vision for marriage in the first place. So before we get into the particulars of how we live out honoring Jesus, especially in our culture today, we live in a state with no-fault divorce. We live, we live in a country where anyone, it's more like halal. Any and every reason, I don't even need my spouse's consent. If I'm done, I'm done. It's my right to end any relationship for any reason. And in the eyes of the law, that seems to be okay. And irreconcilable differences, no problem. You don't even need to let us know what's going on. In that kind of culture, what Jesus is saying, before we look at the particulars, let's get God's heart. What is God's heart when it comes to human relationships and marriage? Well, it comes down to God makes a man and he makes Adam and, and he sees him. He says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So what does God do? God puts him into a deep sleep and, and out of man, woman is created. There is a unique tie. This is not just they show up at the same time. It's out of the human, God creates a different human. And then you have this poem in Genesis. This is now bone of my bones, and this is flesh of my flesh, and she'll be called woman for she came out of a man. Forget about 
the details of how that works out. Here's what we know. God makes man different than woman, but yet connected, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. And right after that, here's what God says back in Genesis. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become the two flesh. This is what this means. God created marriage. Marriage, I don't care what any anthropology teacher tells you at any university, is not a cultural construct. It is not something that is invented. If you hold a, a biblical worldview, if you actually believe that God reveals himself in the scriptures, then you have to come to this conclusion. It's not something we did to bring about happiness. It's something that God did to bring about the fullness of our joy. And it doesn't mean everyone will get married. But when anyone does get married, it's bone of bone, flesh of flesh. It's this uniting of two humans in a way that is supposed to be for life. Uh, the Bible word is covenant. For this reason, a man will leave his home and be united in, in this unique one-to-one -one relationship. Covenant, lifelong, lasting, faithfulness relationship that is modeled, as you continue to read the Bible, with God's relationship with his people. So God enters later with his people, the community of people who follow him, into this lifelong, never-ending, ongoing love relationship of commitment, and it's modeled in marriage. So notice God's intention for marriage, one male and one female. So even though later on in the story, as a result of sin and dysfunction and everything else, you find that, that later on, even in the Old Testament, that, that men have multiple wives and multiple relationships, back at the beginning, God's heart, back at the beginning, God's heart, is one man, one woman for life. Now, there's all sorts of you know, side tangent relationships that we're not gonna get to in this message, but this, this doesn't mean two men, and it doesn't mean two women, and it doesn't mean a man with three women. The, the heartbeat of God from the beginning is a male and a female for life. This is God's vision. And so the relationship is meant to be cemented and leaving family and uniting with his wife and the two become one flesh. Uh, there's still two people, of course, still two personalities, two opinions, of course, of course, two skill sets, of course. It's not like they merge and become this strange two-headed monster. No, two relationships, but at the deepest level, united with God at the center. So the Pharisees question, okay, that's, that Jesus says, you're wanting me to answer about Shammai and Hillel and what Deuteronomy 24 is about on the certificate of divorce. Like, what's the right way to divorce? Oh, by the way, Genesis comes before Deuteronomy 24. The garden comes before ancient Israel and how they're to live in the land of promise. And you're stuck here and you have forgotten back here. That's what Jesus is saying. And in a real way, he does not answer their question. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And, and until we're in that space, right, where we recognize that our culture has a set of visions and values, the American way or the Western way or the modern way or the progressive way, whatever way you want to call it, 
there is a set of ideas that guide the way we think and feel and act. And what we think is right and good and healthy and wrong. And where did you get yours? When we think of issues like this, you know, the, the murder and anger is almost easier because that's kind of pretty cut and dry. Although Jesus puts a twist on it. Forget about just murdering. You may have not murdered, but you could have destroyed someone in your heart and in the way you speak. So Jesus raises the bar. Adultery, okay, maybe you've never committed the act of adultery. Aha, but if, if lust is left unchecked, it's just like you did. So Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He's like actually honoring God is more an issue of the heart. It's not just about physically killing someone. It's about murder in the heart. It's not just about having adultery. It's about adultery in the heart. And so Jesus is not throwing these random things. When we think about the end of marriage relationship, what Jesus is going to say is this is a deeper issue. This is an issue of the heart. Jesus's heart is always forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, I'm not even going to get to the question of should divorce ever happen? What do we do with divorce? We're going to look at that in a bit. But first, we have to look at Jesus' Jesus statement. Jesus is saying God's heart from the beginning is forgiveness and reconciliation and restored relationship. And here's why we know this. Because as the story goes on and men and women continue to sin, God in his love is providing pathways to forgiveness. God in his love is providing pathways for his people to come back. And so God's heart towards his people is in one sense a, a, a Bible template for the beauty of what a relationship ought to be like in marriage. We are going to hurt one another. We're going to disappoint one another. We're going to let each other down. But Jesus's heart is always uh, reconciliation. Why? This is a good news issue. Think about it. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God. Jesus lay down his life to sacrifice, not to throw us away, but he laid down his life. He went to the cross. He, he paid our sin debt in full. He rose again to lovingly bring us back. Think of the expense of God. Think of the sacrifice of God for us to be made right with him. So God's heart demonstrated fully in Jesus is that, that we would be made right in our relationship with him. And we have to make that the grid when we think about any human relationship. So don't throw away friendships. I don't throw away like relationships within the church, even if I'm not married to them, because they're united to Jesus. And so because they're united to Jesus and I'm united to Jesus, I wanna work towards reconciling. And so that same template just hits the marriage relationship. Forgiveness is central, hear me, it's central to the way of Jesus. And so the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus to take their side and pit him one side versus the other. And Jesus reminds us of the heart of God from the beginning. He makes a man, he makes a woman and says the most beautiful thing is when they're living whole one to another with God at the center. Because in the garden you have God and Adam and Eve. It's not just Adam and Eve trying to work it out. God is there walking with them in in covenant relationship, in lifelong trust, in the garden, speaking with them in the cool of the day. Wow. Now, we don't live in that world. We live in our world, don't we? We live on the other side of sin. And because sin and rebellion has fractured everything. It's fractured nature. It's fractured our mindset. It's fractured human relationships. 
And because that is true, what we want to do is before we answer the very real question of how do marriage relationships end and why, what we always want to do is remember the heart of God and the heart of God is to reconcile. And so maybe you're watching this and you're in a relationship that has gone way sour. Just know this, before we take steps of action, God's heart is to reconcile. God's heart is to make things whole. God's heart is to bring good news. Broken people, sin-filled people, uh, people who are headed for destruction apart from God are invited back. This is the gospel. And so because the, the good news of Jesus' love and real redemption and forgiveness in the cross and the resurrection is, is available to anyone, so in the same way, every relationship needs to be filtered through the lens of God's loving good news. And sometimes, the reason I say this and the reason I'm emphasizing this again and again and again is because our culture is telling a different story. Our culture is saying, like Hillel, any and every reason, whatever it takes for you to get your happiness, whatever it takes for you to get what you're looking for, do whatever it takes, oh, just do it you know, the legal right way. And that mindset, Jesus is gonna tell us, is outside of actually the heart of God. And as we keep reading Matthew 19, which we will do next week, we'll begin to tease out some really important questions. Questions like, um, what should we think based on the Bible about divorce in general? Um, are there biblical reasons for divorce? What is the phrase, uh, a biblical grounds for divorce? What does that even mean? You hear that in the church all the time. What does that actually even mean? What else does the New Testament say uh, about divorce? What happens when we've tried everything and divorce happens? Where do we move from there? That's our conversation for next week. But uh, here's what you need to know as you look, and if you've taken a serious look at this, there are, depending on your church tradition, various small differences, but actually they're, they're small, on how do we apply this, right? Uh, and we're gonna look at that next week because our church has one way of applying it and other churches are gonna apply it slightly differently. But in churches that actually believe in the validity and the truthfulness and, and the, the reasonableness of the Bible are actually gonna agree on most things when it comes to marriage, and divorce. And these are some things that I think any Bible-believing church are going to agree upon. Um, re reasons we should not get divorced. Uh, one, my spouse isn't a Christian. Or we got married before I became a Christian. Uh, well, if that's the case, nowhere in the Bible are you going to see that that is a reason to divorce your spouse. Uh, my spouse has been a huge disappointment. Now, I know this sounds really tough. Hey, I'm a human. And I've walked with many, 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 many people in disappointing situations. They said they were going to do this, and they didn't. They promised this, and they didn't. They continue to disappoint. Uh, my spouse has been a disappointment. Now, in the mindset of Rabbi Hillel, that's good reason. Uh, what we're going to see is in the way of Jesus that's just not sufficient reason to get divorced. We're no longer in love. We were in love, we got married. We were in love for a while, but something happened and the love is gone. Um, hear me with love? That's not a reason to get a divorce. And if, if, if you're gonna think of the way of Jesus, now, if you're just gonna do what you wanna do, then just do what you wanna do. 
But we can't say is that is an actual reason that Jesus would be honored in me severing the one man, one woman for life covenant relationship where God is at the center. It's just not a reason. I married the wrong person. Um, we were too young. Again, those just aren't, I, I think given the broad spectrum of churches that believe the Bible, all would say those aren't reasons to get a divorce. My family and my friends say I should leave them. Well, your family and friends may be good. They actually may be godly, but they could also give unwise counsel too. That's not a reason to get divorced. God will forgive me. That's a tricky one because God is a loving God and a forgiving God. But the rationale that, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this, even if others say I shouldn't do this, and I know in the end God will forgive me. Well, gosh, that's flawed logic at its worst, and that's just not a reason to get a divorce. Now, that may seem like a strange way to end, but we need to put a pause on it because I want us to think through next week some of these questions that we need to ask ourselves. But for today, uh, if you are married or if you want to get married or if you're in some sort of, you know, long-term significant relationship, let's, let's, let's ask the big picture question, which is what Jesus does to these Pharisees. What does it mean for us to live out this good news from Jesus. When you think about the relationship and the challenges that you're facing right now, we're gonna, we need to filter it first through the good news. The good news is God's plan is healthy, lifelong growth where two people who do sin find forgiveness in Jesus, reconcile to God through Jesus, and learn the art and the beauty of restoring relationships because of Jesus. So before we throw in the towel, before we throw out this relationship, I would ask you to ask yourself and ask yourself first, don't ask your spouse. What does it mean for me to live out the good news, the beautiful rule that my life now belongs to Jesus? I am under him. What does it mean for me to live out living like Jesus concerning my spouse? If we begin there, if we begin with the right question, will be led in the right direction. And that's what Jesus does in Matthew 19. He takes him back to the right question, which is the heart of God. And then, like we've been talking about for the last few weeks, maybe we need to address those again. What practical steps do I need to take to bring in a culture of forgiveness and a pathway to reconciliation with the person that God has given to me and I have given myself to? So if you are married and you made this covenant and you said the two will become one flesh and you said, I will and I do till death do us part, before we throw in the towel, can we, can we let the right question drive our decision making? Which is, what is the heart of God? And the heart of God is the good news of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Is this going to be easy? Absolutely not. Is this going to be quick? Absolutely not. Is this going to be without challenge? Absolutely not. Um, but the way of Jesus is two things at least. It is the best way to live. It's not the only way to live. There are plenty of people living outside of the way of Jesus. But it is the, for us who have actually found this Jesus to be alive and well and true in our soul, it is the best way. It's not just a way. It's just not a really good way. It's actually the best way to live because the best way to live in right relationship with God is to know what he said and to honor it. Okay, we know that. So it's the best way. And hear me, 
it is the hardest way to live. And those aren't contradictions. It's the hardest way to live. Uh, because Jesus doesn't lower the bar when it comes to murder and anger. Jesus doesn't lower the bar when it comes to adultery. He doesn't lower the bar. Let's just circle back to Matthew 5. Uh, what Jesus avoids is the mindset of Hillel. And he actually leans in. And not that he's under Rabbi Shammai, but he's like, this way of teaching is actually in line. We do not treat marriage lightly. And Jesus is, is teaching this, hear me, in a time where lighthearted, easy divorce was the mindset within the people of faith. And so to bring it home to us, we need to come back to the table. What table? The table where we remember the bread and the cup. The table where we remember that Jesus invited broken, sin-filled people to become his followers. The table of grace. The table where Jesus says, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for you and a ransom for many. And I'm going to offer a better way. So rather than adding brokenness with more brokenness, you could actually find healing and wholeness. I am not saying that every marriage is going to stay together. But I'm pleading with us, pleading to not let the mindset of our culture dominate the mindset that says I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and Jesus seems to be saying, and we'll look at it with Q&A kind of next week, seems to be saying, whereas the culture lowers the bar in his day, the faith people in his day lowers the bar about, hey, you can get rid of your, your spouse for lots of reasons. Jesus seems to be saying that's not the heart of God. And that the, the thought of a marriage breaking down ought to be the last, 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 last resort. Last, last. And not the first line of defense and not the easy option. Jesus's way is the best way, and it, for us practically, it may feel like the hardest way, but let's circle back, it's the best way. Because in the way of Jesus, we find the empowerment to live it out. Hear me, I am not telling you Jesus is throwing a rule over your neck to choke out your life and joy. What I'm here to say is, and if you have it, I want you to pick up the bread and the cup at home, if you have it. I want you to get this and put this in your hands, and I want you, to remember before we take and eat and drink, this is for followers of Jesus. If you've not yet chosen to follow Jesus, you can right now. You can receive God's grace and mercy. While you and I were still sinning, Christ Jesus died for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. This is the good news, that people who are broken can find healing in Jesus. And when Jesus brings about that healing, he can allow us to live in light of his healing, and that healing power can spill over to our human relationships. And so I'm here to say that there's grace and mercy to cover the multitude of sins between you and your spouse. And there's grace and mercy, and if you will give God space and room to work in your life, it could be that even though you feel like you're on the brink of the end, God can bring grace and mercy and wholeness, and maybe he can give you a new chapter where you're still together. And, and it's not the same old, same old. He can actually turn things around. And I have seen it happen with my own two eyes and my own two ears. And I have heard couples 
on the verge of an absolute meltdown months later saying, thank God for Jesus. And we're now on the pathway to wholeness, not without some problems, not without some issues, not without some regret, but on the path to wholeness. Now, whether you're married or not, we're gonna take communion together. But specifically when it comes to relationships, let's just remember Jesus died and rose again to save us and our relationships. And so the same power that removes sin and evil and death is the same power of the resurrected Savior to bring life and ongoing life to the relationships we find ourselves in. Now, before we take and eat and drink, you say, Jose, it's, it's already too late. Our, our marriage ended years ago or, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness when you come to Jesus. So come to him and say, Lord, if you need to repent and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, for what I've thought, for the actions I've taken, then, then there's grace and mercy. There's grace and mercy for you. It's never too late. The only time it's too late is when you leave this earth unrepentant. Then it's too late. But as long as it's today, let's call on Jesus. And no matter what you're going through, let's call on Jesus. And ask him, bring healing and wholeness to our life and to our relationships. Loving Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy most beautifully seen in the sacrifice of Jesus. And because of his death and resurrection, we now take, we eat, we, we say yes to your invitation, not just to a moment where we're near you, but to a lifetime of ongoing growth because of you. So Holy Spirit of God, as we eat and we drink, remind us of the things that are outside out, out of line of Jesus's way of living and in your love and mercy, bring us back and empower us, Holy Spirit, to live the way Jesus intended because this is the best way and we confess it with our mouths. Jesus, your way is the best way. So now help us to live in your way. And we pray this in Jesus's name, amen. I'm gonna eat and drink and then I wanna ask you to do something you know, when we eat and we drink, we, we are receiving the Lord. We're reminding ourselves that grace, mercy, forgiveness, a new start, wholeness, the power of the Spirit is here for us. But friend, this isn't where it ends. And so if you're now dealing with something that is real, it's real to you and you know it and the Spirit's tugging you, can you do me a favor, my friend? Can you reach out? Uh, someone from our team, one of our staff team is here and, and they're online with you. And we want to pray God's love and mercy, not a guilt trip, but a path to wholeness. We want to pray this. We want to dialogue with you. And if you will, please just go to the, to the prayer button and click it. We'll start a chat. And if you want to talk by phone in that chat, you can exchange numbers and begin uh, a, a realer dialogue. And if you want to meet with someone in the near future, we want to be able to empower you to do that. Listen, don't go through this alone. Don't go through this alone, my friend. Jesus is with you and Jesus's people are with you as well.